be seen than viewed, they say. And that's always a good thing. Well, it's a blessing for me to be have, have an opportunity to be here and be among our friends, and no doubt about that. Brother Dunbar and I have known each other for many, many years, and uh, all, most of us here have known each other for many, many years. Uh, but it is important, I think, so often for us to look into the Scriptures and be challenged individually. I know as a pastor and reading our, my Bible in the morning uh, to realize the challenge that comes. I'm glad that it's a living book Amen. and not some history uh, book. You can read it every, every day. Take your Bibles, turn to James, the first chapter. Uh, I, I understand that I'm the only preacher this morning. Lunch is at noon? Yeah. All right. Um, I, I, no, no, I, I know what it, it's like to be in an, uh, an audience and wonder if the plane is ever going to land. <laughs> so I, I'll land it, and uh, after a while, I'll make sure of that. So James, the first chapter, and then we're going to go to 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. Uh, if you'll look with me in James, the first chapter. Uh, look, if you will, to verse 22. It says this, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you bless and help us this morning. And Lord, thank you for the churches represented here. Thank you for the burdens that so many carry that are here this morning of people in their churches and certainly their desire to know the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to stay faithful, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. And I pray that that might be the case. May uh, this morning be uh, a, a treat. Uh, in the sense of our hearts being encouraged, uplifted, strengthened, and perhaps convicted about some areas of our ministry, our individual lives, whatever it may be. Thank you for this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I'm thankful for this church, thankful for the pastors been here these many years. It's been a blessing. I, we started Heritage Baptist Church in 1980. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary a couple weeks ago, uh, and it seems like yesterday it all got started. I still remember... I can't remember what I ate for breakfast this morning, but I remember starting the church 40 years ago, and some of you perhaps can uh, appreciate that as you get older or whatever. But uh, the fact is, it's a blessing to know. In our state, we need to have a network of Bible-believing Christians that believe something, but not only believe it, but practice it. And I'm thankful for ministries like Brother uh, Stiles and some of the other ones but we need to be, certainly realize that when God ordained uh, the family, he also ordained the government, and he also ordained the church. And he never intended for us to leave one for the other. You've had in your churches where people were more concerned about their family and their children and everything else, and the, the church is secondary. Uh, government's not even in there. Uh, then you've got some people that their families are... Um, horribly treated because of the absentee being at church all the time, being doing the work of the Lord, and they fail to realize the importance of that home structure. And then with those two, it keeps us busy enough. It's tough, you know, I can juggle with two, two, and I can juggle with three. I can't go any higher than that. But that third one is God-ordained government. And the reason being is so that we not live in a chaotic environment so we can carry out the ministry the Lord Jesus Christ gave us. So it's important for us to be involved and, of course, I just make mention of New York Baptist for Biblical Values of trying to make contact with church people in the pew so they can make contact with their representatives about certain laws that are coming down the pike. 
Um, President Coolidge, when he was the uh, mayor of New Hampton, or Hampton, Massachusetts, wrote to his father, who had just been elected to the Senate in the Vermont State Legislature. And he wrote to him, he said, it's, it's uh, better to stop a bad bill than to pass a good bill. Because you know when they pass a bad bill, it takes an act, more than an act of Congress to get something changed. The SAFE Act would be a perfect illustration. People say, repeal, repeal. They, they can't repeal. I mean, to repeal it would be on the comprehension in a legislative manner. They can defund it. And that's why it was passed in the middle of the night some years ago, uh, because they realized after Sandy Hook there as far as the massacre in that school, which was a tragedy, you know, can you imagine if a teacher would have had a firearm in there? You know, it's amazing. Go to Israel and find out where all the fire. <laughs> they walk around the street um, and, and, and that. And that we're talking uh, automatic and semi-automatic weapons in that way. But let me encourage you to stay faithful in that. We are in difficult times, as you know, as far as our governor and our legislatures uh, and everything. So uh, stay abreast of what's going on. Turn to Second Kings, if you would, the sixth chapter. Second Kings, the sixth chapter. Now, the Bible says there in James, the first chapter, that talking about the individual looks into the perfect law of liberty, and obviously we use that illustration. It's like a mirror. Um, I'm assuming most people looked in a mirror this morning, and if you didn't, we already can tell. Um, the, the nature and purpose of that is so you can make yourself presentable. And the reason we look into the perfect law of liberty is so we can be really freed up of ourselves and our own directions and allow God to do something, but many times we forget. So, you know, when I look into the perfect law of liberty sometimes, you know who I see? People in my church that need that. <laughs> sometimes I look at it and I see my wife needs that. <laughs> it is amazing how that in that reflection I can see other people. But the Bible talks about me looking into the perfect law of liberty and see myself for what I am in that. It's important even as pastors to have that constant contact. Uh, great message last night uh, by Brother King. I uh, look forward to hearing him again. Uh, but the fact is, is we need to realize, and the burdens that we carry, you and I are not able to carry them. Can't do it. He has to be him. It has to be him. You know, when we're young, we think, uh, well, we can just carry it, and we just do it, and you do this, and you do that, and you do. Sometimes it only doesn't always work out that way. There has God has to be involved in it. Look, if you will, to Second Kings, the sixth chapter, an interesting story, and perhaps we might be able to get ourselves or see ourselves in this. The story, one way or another. Second Kings, the sixth chapter, look at verse 8. I need to take my watch off so I can throw it away. I mean, set it down. Do you have a clock around here anywhere? No, sir. Okay. No. That's because he's a preacher. Yeah, I don't want no clock staring me at me, right? I, said, I don't know if this thing will be able to see it. I'll do the best I can. If I look at my, my watch, it doesn't mean I'm landing the plane. I'm just knowing, you know, if we're getting near the airport. <laughs> That's all it is. Second Kings, the sixth chapter, look, if you will, to verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned uh, him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. 
But Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, and I, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Verse 16. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, in this particular story, we see a couple different things. Actually, I'll mention three of them this morning. But we have a divided kingdom before us, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, is wreaking havoc on the northern tribes by coming in and raiding them. does not mean the northern tribes were godly or living righteously, but they were God's people. And so Elisha was made aware of the fact of where Ben-Hadad and his outfit would come down in there, and as a result, Joram, the king would be able to uh, avoid confrontation with them or do what was necessary uh, to move forward, if you please, for the northern tribes. Now, Dothan is mentioned twice in the Bible. Two individuals find themselves there. One was a young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was out being sent to look for his brothers, and he comes there in Dothan. So he goes to Dothan, about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And he goes there. And from that point, as we know, sold into slavery, sent down to Egypt. But the Bible says, but God was with Joseph. In fact, Joseph understood it all the way back in the 50th, or all the way to the 50th chapter when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's why God was with Joseph that whole time, because Joseph had an awareness there's a God in heaven that will take care of us. Now, Elisha's the same persuasion. I don't know. It doesn't say that Elisha saw the fiery chariots that uh, uh, surfaced around them to show the servant, he just knew by faith they were there. And he said, open his eyes that he may see. I know they're there. That living by faith. I think there's three responses to what happens in our lives and in our ministries. The first one is a matter of fear. Fear is an amazing thing. How shall we do? I wonder how it's going to take place. How are we going to make the budget? How are we going to you know, uh, be able to deal with that particular family that left and everybody knows? How shall we do? What we need to do is realize there's a God in heaven. Take care of it. <clears throat> I, I, I weary sometimes of seeing where people uh, you know, are, are glad to get other people's sheep or goats um, and get them and whatnot and build their church. Uh, what we need to do is build a bond between us that we realize that we're shepherds and we all water at the same watering hole. When we call our sheep, our sheep will follow us, just like it says in John the 10th chapter, hear my voice. It's not a matter of trying to figure that out. That's why I appreciate the bond and the fellowship and the friendship uh, that we can have with people. I appreciate uh, Brother Parker that's uh, come into Newark. We're close, just eight miles away, but we have a great relationship. Um, he skipped lunch on me Monday, but... Uh, no, actually, I had invited him to lunch, and I forgot about it. Um, I, I did have an excuse, but I'm not sure what it is yet. Um, but anyway, it's, it, it needs to be that way. And if we have people, we, we talk to one another. And if somebody from your church comes to, to visit my church, I'm going to call you. Amen. I remember I called one preacher. He said, well, you need to tell them. They need to get back. <laughs> I said, well, I'm just telling you they showed up. 
I, I called, how many know uh, Lou Godano Sr.? Okay. Uh, I remember the first time I met him, he was a big old Harley, and we were down in <coughs> Cleveland at a legal seminar. He pulled and I said, man, did you drive it? He goes, yeah, you know. And I preached in his church a few times, and of course, you know, he had... One time I stopped during the day or in the week and whatnot, and there was about five Harleys parked there in front of his church. He was a character, no doubt about it. We're sitting on the platform ready to get the offering or whatever, and he pulls out a pistol in his pocket. He said, hey, look look at it. Hey, how do you like my pistol? I had a little clip on the side, slot where you could it'd fit over your pocket so you could get it out quick, you know. And we're sitting like here in front of everybody, and he's saying, hey, how do you like that pistol? So now that's a nice pistol. He said, um... But we had a couple that visited our church one time, and so I called Brother Godano, and I said, Brother Godano, just Tim Young, I just want to let you know, we had a couple, and I named the couple, they were here in our service on Sunday. I don't know if they're moving in the area, whatever, I just want to let you know. They, they, they said, when I asked them where they went to church, they went to your church. He said, you know, you're the first preacher that ever called me to tell me that. Yeah, yeah. And it's too bad. That's bad. You know, are we building a kingdom, or are we building, or allowing the Lord to build His church? We need to always, you know, certainly be mindful of. But I think fear is one of the things that grips us if we're not careful. Uh, there are several emotions, obviously, that affect us. Fear and anger, which are destructive when they find their final end. Uh, but love and hope, they cause us to uh, succeed in whatever we do. Uh, fear actually has a narrow vision. It's kind of like the frost on your windshield and the first thing in the morning when you get in there and obviously in a hurry and I've, you know, Share this illustration, but the fact is, is you're, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have a credit card because you, you decide you're going to get rid of all of them. Uh, your window scraper is in the sandbox, and Junior has been making roads with it, and you have nothing to scrape the windshield, and you've got to get someplace. So you get the RPMs to about 6,000, turn on the defrosters, and all of a sudden a little spot like that in front of the driver, in front of the passenger, kind of lights up, and you say, that's good enough. And you put the windows down so you can back out onto the road. And you go down the road and you see this eyeball coming at you down the road. You know, see this person looking. And that's what fear does. It narrows our vision to see God. He said, open, about the sermon, he said, open his eyes that he may see where we are and what's going on. And we by faith must understand that. But fear is an amazing thing, no doubt. Fear keeps us from seeing clearly or seeing the whole picture. And all of us have had it. And even today have it, even since a child. You know, we make light of a child's fear. Oh, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. You don't have to be afraid of lightning. You don't have to be... We're all afraid of something, usually. But he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. We need to keep that in mind. And that's what Elisha saw. We hear Elisha saying, um, where's the Lord God of Elijah? My question is, where's the Elijahs of the Lord God? that don't need to see the fiery chariots if he did not actually visually see them, but wanted the servant to see how, what good shape we're in. Or Joseph, when he went to Egypt, understanding all the trials and all the things he would experience, but yet the Bible says God was with him. God's not with somebody that's fearful, somebody that's questioning, somebody that's doubting. I'm not going to say God, and God was with Joseph. It's amazing his testimony we know as we read about his life saying, wow, it's amazing. We see, there's a lot of times he could, have got, he could have tripped up himself, but he didn't. And Elisha was of that nature of the fact of saying, open his eyes that he can see what we have. Elijah, Elisha had to have that uh, sense of faith, there's no doubt. 
We've all had fear. I was thinking I was uh, on a bus route on the west side of Chicago years ago, and we happened to be having a promotion, and so I was in a very dangerous area. In fact, there was a resident of that area that was visiting with me. It was late May, nice day, sun was shining, mild day, had a tie, short sleeve shirt on, and went up to this particular door. This, the heavy door uh, was opened, and there was just a screen door there. But it, the sun was shining on it, so you couldn't really make out what was on the inside. You could just see the reflection in the screen. And but, so all of a sudden, somebody came walking around. And let me tell you, it was a bad area. In fact, the fella said that was with me, he said, the police don't come down this street unless there's been a murder. So when I knocked on the door, we're both standing there, and all of a sudden, this guy, and I can identify it as a, a man, He's been walking, and all of a sudden, I noticed in his hand he had a revolver. Now, it could have been a 40 caliber, could have been a 45, but I can tell you this, the barrel on it was about that big around, the business end of that barrel. When you look at a business end of a weapon, let me tell you something, it looks about that big. He pointed that at me, and he said, what do you want? And you know, I couldn't think of what I wanted. I said, I... <laughs> Nothing. I turned around and walked away. I know some people say, bless God, I pointed my bony finger at that guy and told him, I'm but, you know, you're not going to shoot me because God's going to put his finger in that barrel. I didn't know. I said, I, 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 I don't have anything. So I turned around and walked away. I was waiting to see sunlight break through my chest, you know, when he blew me away from the back. I'll tell you what, it gives you a great deal of respect for somebody that's got a gun in their hand. <laughs> Especially when it's pointed at you. But the thing is, is fear. Things happen. Money, health, all those things that we see take place are fear. And God's not given us that spirit, and I'm glad for it. Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Autophobia is the fear of self. Monoautophobia is the fear of being alone with yourself. Um, Clarephobia is the fear of having fun. Wifephobia is the fear of going home. <laughs> Fee-fi-phobia is the fear of giants. God's not given us the spirit of fear. That's what he tells us in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 7, when he's not given it. But the second thing, first of all, is fear. And we understand that. I don't, I'm not afraid. I don't care. I mean, I'll bless God. That's you and I. You know, puffing ourselves up, ready to take it on. Brother King's message last night. Let's pray. Because every incident is above our capability. And it really is. And it doesn't take you long to figure that out. Now, some people are a little more resistant than others for maybe some years or whatever, but the idea is coming that God has to intervene in that situation, no doubt. The second thing is this matter of faith. It's an amazing thing. The Lord's servant, obviously, is uh, in a situation where he doesn't see, and the Bible tells us that Elijah prayed to the Lord and asked him to open the eyes of the servant so he could see what was going on. Sometimes we need to open the, our eyes so we can see what God's doing, no doubt. Uh, because the, the Lord knows the end from the beginning. He know, already knows what's going to take place. And when we have that confidence in Him that He already knows, I'm good. And you know your mortality is, uh, when it comes to a matter of living God's, or your immortality, in the matter of living God's will for your life, you will not step out of this world until he's ready for you to step out of the world, if you're in his will. So we're good. So I remember we started the church on February 10, 1980. Twelve days later, 
we lived on, uh, we rented a, uh, a half a house on the same street that my mom and dad lived on. We didn't have a TV. In fact, to start the church, I sold my car. I had to borrow a car for six months in starting the church. And uh, so we walked down because the USA was going to play the USSR uh, and at Lake Placid, Placid, New York, in the semifinals of the Olympics. And so we went down. Now, you kids may not appreciate it, but we didn't have a TV. We, we don't, we're not hooked up to anything right now. We might watch DVDs or whatever. But we didn't have a TV in the house, so we were going to Mom and Dad's and watching it on the rabbit-eared or antenna TV set. And so that night, we get there in time. We're sitting down, and we're watching the hockey game. And if you've ever saw it, it was an amazing thing because you'd have to understand the Cold War, have to understand the association with the USSR and the United States. They had come to the United States weeks before, and they cleaned up on every single team they played time and time again in getting ready for the Olympics at Lake Placid, New York. So the game starts, we're watching it. I'm on the edge of the seat, and we're rooting and carrying on and everything else. And then after the Americans scored and went ahead with a few minutes left in the hockey uh, game, then the thing was is they had to hold them off and hold them off and hold them off and hold them off. And all of a sudden, the buzzer rang, and they went crazy. And boy, they were, uh, you know, jump. And the Russians were, I mean, totally shocked at what had taken place. And we were in that TV room, and we were, man, we were excited. And about two minutes after they showed what happened on the ice, they went immediately to the main street in Lake Placid, and here was the entire hockey team dressed in the regalia of the, the various teams, winter games teams of the United States with their cowboy, white cowboy hats and everything else. They played the game in the afternoon. We didn't know it. The game was already over when we started watching it. I mean, it had already been decided. Now he said, how could you do that? I mean, didn't you, wouldn't a, uh, you know, a news flash or wouldn't your phone ring or something? <laughs> I mean, we were in the dark in the 1980s, there's no doubt about it. Um, and the thing is, but think about it. The thing had already been played, they'd already won, and here we were rooting them on. Do you know it's the same thing? God already knows what's going to take place. And here we are fearful, hanging at the edge of our seat, and wait, our God knows the way through the wilderness. All we've got to do is follow Strength for today is mine always and all that I need for tomorrow. We need to learn to trust him. The, the servant, he's fearful. He sees the armies of Ben-Hadad out there surrounding Dothan. He is scared to death. How should we do? Oh, last master, how should we do? Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And all of a sudden, the angels and chariots of fire that surrounded them to protect them, and so Elijah is a demonstration of faith, certainly that we would be challenged in our own. You see, the first intercessory prayer that's recorded in the Bible is when Abraham prayed for Sodom or for the people of Sodom that, they, that the city would be spared. There's a couple things that I think are noticeable in that prayer. He's not being presumptuous when he prays, though it would seem like it. How about if there's 50? How about if there's 45? How about if there's 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? So he wasn't being presumptuous of the Lord. But the first thing is, is how remarkable the influence of just a few people can make a difference. He said, if there's ten, would you spare the city? The Lord said, I'll spare the city for ten. We're oftentimes considering the fact that we have to have the numbers in order to be effective. What we need to do is obviously be in a relationship with the Lord so that our, if it's a relative few, that God can still do his work. 
The other thing is when he prayed, he prayed his prayer was based on God's loving kindness that he wanted to spare the city even though it was wicked. He was willing to do it, not willing that any should perish. So it helps us understand the way that the Lord works. So he prayed. He said, open his eyes. You know, we need to make sure that we see things in a proper perspective because we have that inability oftentimes to see things crossways. See them the wrong. So, and I think the majority that I've seen, I've only, I, 1974, I hired in as assistant pastor. So uh, I've been around the block a few times. Seen it. The amazing, this, the kingdoms we're trying to build. It's not my kingdom. It's not my church. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm saying, Lord, what would you have me to do concerning us? I know it's not another a person's flock. It's the flock he's given me charge over. And I'm to be minister to those individuals, there's no doubt, in that. But we have to be careful and properly, pro- properly see what God wants to do in your church. Not based on how Brother Dunbar's doing or Brother Rice is. We're, we're together in this. And it's not a matter of what somebody else is doing. Now, we should pray for one another. We should be a strong, cohesive force for the cause of Christ because we're brethren. And the thing is, we're endeavoring to allow the Lord to use us to help minister to his sheep. I was in Albany preaching many years ago. And uh, while I was preaching, I noticed right over here on the, 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 the right front, my left, I noticed there were two, uh, a blind husband and wife, and a German shepherd seeing eye dog. And they were seated there, and so I finished preaching. And the pastor came up to afterwards, and he said, you know, Brother Young, did you notice in our conversation? He said, Brother Young, did you notice that blind couple over here? I said, I sure did, and the seeing eye dog. And uh, he said, do you know that that couple won to the Lord last year 150 people? I said, you're kidding. So in my mind, my wheels are turned. I'm thinking, they probably have a phone ministry where they pick up the phone and, eh, 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 eh. They didn't have these then, Okay situation um and eh, 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 eh. oh please don't hang up i just want to call you and talk to you for a minute you know for sure i mean in other words like a phone ministry because they're blind he said well i I said how do they do it And he said well you see that dog and i said yes he said a seeing eye dog is trained so when it sees something it's leading its master someplace and maybe there's a pole in the way it'll lead him around it or a person coming at him it'll lead them to the side so allow that person to to go by and he said, well, what they did is they retrained that dog. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when they walked down, did you hear about the guy that went to Walmart? He, was, he had a seeing-eyed dog, and he grabbed it by the tail, and he swung it around. He's blind. He put it down, and the manager comes, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, I'm just looking around. <laughs> and so the dog was trained so that when somebody was coming towards them, the dog would bird dog that person coming. So if a person moved over to one side, the dog moved over in front of it. And kept moving, and then finally the person ended up against a wall, a storefront, and then the German shepherd would come right in front of it, get down on its haunches, and look up with his bare teeth at it, and two blind people um, going, you know, like this, saying, do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Yeah. With a German shepherd sitting there bearing teeth. And I said, well, that'll work, I'm sure, as far as that's concerned. But I tell you, Liz, is that dog probably has more spirituality than most of us as far as seeing things. We need to see that God is able in every situation to meet the need. I mentioned to Brother King this morning, after that message last night, I said I, I got out to the car and I had a text on my phone. 
and a, a, a serious situation. And so I was on the phone for probably 45 minutes on the way home dealing with this situation. And I mean, it's in a home, it's a domestic situation, kids are involved. It's just, you know what, how we concluded the conversation? When I said, let's pray. Yeah. Let's pray. Because it's beyond our capabilities in some situation. God is certainly able. No doubt about that. Oh, that we might see clearly. Should, it should be a, certainly our prayer. Um, that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. So we need to understand that we live our lives and we're the testimony and the light to a lost and dying world that they might see that God's the one that rules. There's a third aspect of this that's interesting, and that's, we didn't read this part of it, but what took place is when uh, these uh, armies of Ben-Hadad came to uh, wreak havoc or capture Elisha, the, the Lord struck him with blindness. Sorry, brother, I can hit a moving target as well as one stationary. Okay. <laughs> he told me he was going to have to sneak out. You're not even going to sneak out. Um, but he, he told me he had to, so it wasn't... Johnny Pope said that in First Baptist Church Hammond years ago when somebody got up in the middle of a sermon he was preaching. He said, I can hit a moving target as well as can one stationary. I thought, well, that's a cute saying. Um, but Ben-Hadad's army's there. They're pursuing down to come into uh, secure Elisha. And there's... He strikes him with blindness. But yet he's still able to lead them. He leads them uh, down into the city. And Joram said, let's, let's butcher them, cotton pickers. And Elisha said, no, let's feed them. Let's provide for them some milk and some food. Then send them home. And the following verse will tell us that for a period of time there was rest in northern Israel. Mercy is an amazing thing. You know, when we think about people in our area and whatnot that are difficult and create problems and whatnot, showing mercy is not a human trait, it's a God trait. He's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve, and mercy, God not giving us what we do deserve. So we have to be careful not to somehow figure out that it's our responsibility uh, to judge that person and pass on to them difficulties because, no, no, it's, we're to show mercy. And that's what Elisha did. He showed mercy unto the enemy, if you please. When we understand the foolishness of man, it's mercy only seems fitting. First of all, without Christ, they're going to split hell wide open. We've got to show mercy. That doesn't mean forfeiting what we hold to be true. It means showing mercy. It's something that people don't certainly expect, there's no doubt. Um, see, people have tried to disrupt the Lord's plan for many years. We think of the builders of the Tower of Babel that tried to disrupt God's plans. Pharaoh thought to frustrate the Lord's design concerning his people by getting them into the wilderness and killing them all. Didn't work. Jonah uh, obviously thought to outwit the Lord. Herod, by murdering all the small children. And the list goes on through the Bible when we see individuals that were trying to s disrupt God's plan, and God wants to show mercy. We don't think of mercy when we think of those, obviously, that serve perhaps in a political uh, arena. You know, we get mad at them, we get disgusted with them, we get contrary-wise. And I'm not against the idea of exercising our 
civilian right, if you please, to vote, but also to redress government, and also to approach government, but to show them mercy is something we ought to do so that we don't faint. I think, by and large, Christianity has fainted. Now, fainting is a little different than being knocked out. Knocked out is when you involuntarily get knocked unconscious. Fainting is when you succumb. We had a fellow in our church years ago uh, that went in for the delivery of his first child. He was seated at the head, uh, by his wife's head up there and talking to her and whatnot while the doctor was delivering the child. And he was sitting on a stool there and all of a sudden he fainted, fell off the stool. The wife said, the doctor said, I'll leave him be, we'll take care of him later, let's get this baby delivered. So he's out cold. He fainted. Funny because we ended up buying him a motorcycle helmet for a second child. So you know, he wouldn't hurt or injure himself when he fell off as far as that. So people fainted various different things. What we're doing is we're giving in. The Bible tells us to faint not. And that in a lot of times the pressures that we experience, there's no doubt, it happens that way. There's a difference. There's no doubt. Years ago, Ross Perot, during the Vietnam War, very patriotic individual. He also was in the elections of 1992 where he took 19% of the vote and as a result, I think, upset the, uh, the, the election that year. I appreciate and I'm glad that in America you, you have a right to run for office, but I think as a result, that's where Bill Clinton was able to squeak in. But anyway, uh, Ross Perot, back in the Vietnam War, he was a businessman. He'd gone uh, to the Naval Academy and served his country, very patriotic, and by that time, he was a businessman, had made a lot of money, and his intent was to see what he could do about getting gifts to those that were in the Hanoi Hilton, which at that time was in North Vietnam, and the airmen that had been shot down over North Vietnam, most of them were all airmen that were in the Hanoi Hilton, um, and they were captured, they were placed there. It was a place of torture, it was a place uh, of horrible conditions, and many of them spent years there, years being beaten, basically starved, suffered. They served their country. And Ross Perot wanted to see what he could do in trying to get them something in the Christmas season to bring into those POWs, and he spent time in contact with the North Vietnamese government. He loaded up a 707 down in a, uh, on an airstrip down in Texas, loaded it up with gifts and things that he wanted to get there, and he was in constant contact and waited through the course of the day, and he actually had the engines revved up, ready to take off as soon as they said and gave him a green light he could fly in to Hanoi. Finally, at the 11th hour, the North Vietnamese government sent him word that you can't come. Ross Perot felt horrible about it. And by the way, there's another story Ross Perot was involved in trying to when somebody in Thailand had saw in Laos some American prisoners back in the seven, or in the 80s. And in the 80s, they, they had witnessed, I don't know, three or four American soldiers that had been captured and were still prisoners. And he paid, in fact, the reason I know the story is because Jim Vineyard went there for two weeks and uh, purchased what was necessary, took a lie detector to make sure the people had said they had seen American citizens there, and it was foiled the night. He had to leave to come back, but the night they went across the Mekong River uh, to try to find that spot 
apparently there was, they were intercepted or whatever, and they never did know what happened. But Ross Perot was willing to do whatever he could. He'd rented the top of a hotel or a motel over there, and uh, top floor, that in the event that they were able to capture them, they would bring them there, they would rejoice with them having been freed now, and then flown them back. That's the kind of person Ross Perot was. He was a patriot. So he shuts down the engine of the 707 back in the uh, early 70s. And uh, as he walked off the tarmac, and of course the news media was there, and they said, Mr. Perot, how does it feel to know you failed? He said, I didn't fail to try. I didn't fail to try. We need to get to this place where we try something. Go for it. Don't quit. I think we need to be challenged in our Christian life. I mean, we look into the perfect law of liberty. Do we really see ourselves or do we see other people? We're supposed to see ourselves. When we look at the story, and actually in the perfect law of liberty is the story of Elisha and the servant. Are we like the servant full of fear, thinking of all the different things take place, what the government could do, you know, what this family could do if they wanted to, and what this person trouble he's given? And we're looking at that when we need to, as Elisha did, he said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. Maybe we need our eyes open. Now, Joseph didn't necessarily need to see the angels. We don't say here that it would happen. But the Bible said God was with Joseph. God had a plan. God's got a plan for your life, got a plan for my life. And the fact is, he already knew before we sat down to watch the Winter Games on uh, February 22nd, uh, 1980, he already knew who'd won. We didn't. And we were beside ourselves hoping they'd squeak through. And it, was already, it had already been called. Let me tell you something. God already knows the end. Well, we're by faith, trust him. And I think the Bible encourages us as we look into the perfect law of liberty, we see ourselves. When we look in the story of Elisha, we need to see ourselves, see where we are, trust him, to have that vision, to know, though you may not see the angels, you can trust they're there. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You're in good hands. You're in good hands. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd bless and help and maybe just uh, by way of encouragement, the fact of our, the goodness of our God. I pray that you'd bless the thought this morning and the challenge. Lord, may it be helpful. All of us must come to a time, maybe many times, made day by day, say, Lord, this is the day that you've made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. Rather than open our eyes and think of all the difficulties, all the problems, we'll deal with them. But we do deal with them in time and in faith. I pray you bless the thought this morning in Christ's name. Amen.